Let us pray together. Loving God, I ask that you would gather us in, the lost and forsaken, the lone and the lonely, the happy and the sad, the celebrating and the grieving, that you might knit us together in this place as your beloved people, as your body. And may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. She woke up that morning as she usually did, alone, in the same tunic which she wore. Occasionally, she took it down to the river to wash and bathe herself and it. She was used to sleeping in uncomfortable places, and so years and years of that had hammered pains and aches into her muscles, the crick in the neck, her lower back. Her hair was thin and her face worn with wrinkles from care and tears, as well as good things that had happened along the way. But she was all alone, a widow in the ancient society, the one who the prophets said to take care of. All alone, often sleeping in doorways, having lost her husband years ago, having lost children, some who had gone off on long distances, never knowing when she might hear from them. And yet through it all, there was this rope of faith that she would hold on to, the faith she had been taught as a child in the temple, the faith her parents had taught her at home when they said their prayers and lit their candles, when they remembered the words of Scripture. And so she held on to that rope of faith, sometimes tightly for dear life, for fear she might fall off the edge of the world. Other times she might let go of it, as you and I might let go of it, because we feel like we can walk on our own without much help. Sometimes the rope felt taut, holding her close to God, and sometimes it felt so slack she was afraid she might be blown away by the winds of change. But she held onto that rope nonetheless, and that's why she came into the temple that morning because of that rope of faith, much like we have come into the temple this morning. She brought with her all she had, which were two coins. We're not sure how she got them. Possibly one had been given to her by a friend a long time ago that she was saving for a rainy day, except the rainy days kept coming and coming again and again, and she thought maybe she should wait for a big storm. The other coin she had found in the crevice of the street carelessly tossed, not worth a lot to most people, but worth a lot to her. She could buy a scrap of bread. She could perhaps even buy a night of lodging with one of these coins. And so she came into the temple that morning clinging to the rope of faith that there might be some hope and help for her. The scribes awoke that morning as they normally do with their own aches and pains from sleeping on lumpy beds or not knowing which day would be happening, how it would happen, how it would unfold. You see, the scribes were the elite of that day in Jerusalem. They were doctors of the law whose long years made them the official interpreters of God's word. 
They were religious professionals, the ones to whom people turn to for guidance and counsel, the ones whose names are in the bulletin, who wear long robes, and who people wanted their children to know. However, they were not paid as clergy today are paid. They were, in fact, forbidden to receive pay for doing their jobs, so they lived on some subsidies, like from students, or a little from the poor box, or from the temple treasury. Some scribes were not content with little, however, and they found ways to make a lot more by using their positions to wrangle invitations to people's homes, for instance, where they accepted the best seats, the best cuts of meat, the best cups of the best wine. And when they wore out their welcome, no one dared to tell them to go, lest of all their poorer parishioners, who were glad to spend their savings on such esteemed guests. Somewhere along the line, the scribes had dedicated themselves to this life of faith. However, it wasn't so much a rope for them as a robe they had to put on each time they went out their doors. Not so much the candle lit in the heart as it might have once been, but a professional emblem. And so they came there that day with all their ambivalence, with all their care, with all their best intentions and their worst intentions into the temple. And then there's Jesus and his disciples who awoke that day as they usually did. These disciples still bewildered that they had given up their families and all their income and their livelihood to come follow this itinerant rabbi, this healer, this charismatic person, wondering where he was going to take them next, what he was going to say to them next. This guy who spoke in riddles, waking up, I imagine, like a herd of dogs in some corner where they found asleep in a field or a vacant room, wondering what Jesus would do today and where he would take them. And I believe Jesus awoke that morning like he usually does, probably feeling the weight of his position, but asking God once again to light the candle of his heart, that he might let God's light shine through him. Some of you may know this story that Henry just read. It's well-known, often called The Widow's Might, her little bit that she put in. What impresses me about this story is they all came to the temple for their own reasons, just like all of us have come for our own reasons. And what's interesting to me is what Jesus notice, notices. He criticizes the scribes for their grand displays, for their very visible spirituality, this cloak they put on themselves so that everyone can see it, because, let's be fair, they think that's their job. And then he notices this woman who has long been a bit player in the cast of characters of life, who people stopped noticing years ago as she puts in these two coins, all that she has, and the sound in the treasury box is one that probably only she can hear. That's the person he notices. Makes me wonder about what we notice and what we don't notice. Years ago, I was listening to the great mindfulness teacher, John Kabat-Zinn, who teaches a lot about pain management and how mindfulness, a sort of meditative state, can help you approach that. He was giving a talk on how we bring our awareness, and he showed us a little film. There were about 100 people in the room, and he said, now I want you to pay attention. There are going to be some people in this video bouncing a ball in black shirts in front of an elevator. 
I want you to notice how many times they bounce the ball. Now, I should tell you at this time, I had just finished being a waiter, and I prided myself on paying attention to what was going on in the room. Usually when I would go out to eat, I notice if the cappuccino maker is broken and the fight that's happening at table 11 and the waiter who just got slammed with three seatings at once. Well, a lot of times my dinner companions aren't aware. So I said to myself as I watched this video, can't you really got to concentrate on the ball and how many times it bounces? So all hundred of us in this room studying this video, I start counting the time the ball bounces, 10, 11, 12, 13. John Kabat-Zinn asked us what number we got. 12, 13, 14, different responses. And then he said, did anyone in the room notice something unusual in this video? Two people held up their hands. He showed the video again. We watched it. And there, plain as day, amid the bouncing balls, a person in a gorilla suit danced by. And 80, 98 of us in that room had missed it. It's amazing when we bring our attention to things and when we don't, and why, and why not. As I listen to this story again about the widow who put in all she had, these coins in the treasury box, I wonder about who you and I don't notice. Not only in this sanctuary, but outside the walls. I will tell you, I was talking to a church consultant last week who visits a lot of churches in the South, and she said, you'll be surprised how many people never say hi in a church. And we, those of us who were all New England pastors said, in the South, in a church? And she said, absolutely. She said, churches need to develop a culture that you say hi to everyone. So I just leave you with that as you think about going down to the potluck and finishing church, especially say hi to people that you have never said hi to before. But as we're reading this book on the new Jim Crow, and as I think about our culture and our society, I wonder about who we don't notice, who we push aside so that we won't notice them. The 2.2 million people incarcerated, some of them for what many might consider petty offenses, put into a broken system, out of the way so that people in power in the long robes and the nice cars and the seats of authority don't have to see them, so that you and I don't have to see them, into a system that often spits them back out worse than the way they came in. Or I think about those of us as we get older and lose our mobility or even our memories and are tucked away in places where we may feel forgotten. I think about people who've been a part of this congregation who are still around but can't come to the pews anymore. How do we bring our attention as a parish church to those people and pay attention to them? The people that too often drift out of our sight and go unnoticed. Or I think, as a follower of Jesus, about children in our midst, the 2.5 million children in this country who fall asleep every night without a home usually in a car or a tent somewhere, places that we don't see and we too often forget about. Now, as those of you reading the new Jim Crow book know, these problems can seem overwhelming. But I would ask us to leave here today 
and think this week about who am I not noticing. You see, I think Jesus understood something about not being noticed because he was born that way, in a tucked away stable where there was no room for them, in a place that could have easily been missed. But God lit a candle in some people's heart, and they didn't let the world put it out. So I ask us to look for the ways that God's light is breaking through in the smallest of ways, with people giving all that they have in faithful, diligent, hopeful ways. Hope against hope and faith against faith. That you and I might see with the eyes of Christ. Amen.